welcome back to Wandering Into Wellness. Hey guys, how's it going? Finn and Lydia as usual and today we are joined by a very special guest, Renee von Medding, who is a writer, an activist and the CEO of Equality for Children. Um, welcome Renee. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> Pleasure. I'm so excited to have you on. I've been following um, you on Instagram for a good while and following the Equality for Children journey and it's something that really piqued my interest but I also felt so much that I was ignorant of the situation and I couldn't believe that I really didn't understand that I mean for me I met someone I fell in love I got married and then I had a baby and it was just as simple as that for me so lucky um but just to understand that for everyone in Ireland it isn't that way and I think that it's a huge area that's being kind of shoved to the side for the average person just isn't aware that there's even an issue around so I'd love for you to share your story with us and just kind of maybe we could start at the beginning of when you when you grew up and you fell in love and how did that go for you? Perfect yeah so um, yeah I moved to Ireland when I was four um, I was born in um, I was born in the States and we we moved to Ireland and um, I grew up here had a very was normal childhood and um, when I was 21, I met my now wife in um, college. We were both studying theatre in Dublin. And up until that point, I had never uh, been with a woman. I had never that it had just never occurred to me that that was an option available to me. I never had a massive, I suppose, crisis. And with my sexuality, I was always, I suppose, very happy dating men before that. But when I met Audrey, something just kind of sparked in me and something awakened in me. And I just realized that I was really connected to her as a human being. And it actually didn't really mm. matter to me that she was. Mm. It obviously was um, a big shock to me. And um, we started dating and very early on, I could see my future with her and I could see my life with her. And I, I kind of just. I knew that we would we would be together and I think a lot of people in the early days um were you know kind of like oh it's a phase and you know it's not gonna last and <laughs> you know to all of those people I say well we're here we are we're almost at our 13 year anniversary and we have two kids um we've built a life together there's literally no one else I would want to to be with you know it's not saying that it's been easy all the time but mm. um yeah that's that's kind of how um the the whole journey started i suppose um and yeah i i guess early on when we started dating i think even a couple of months into us going out we were already talking about kids we both very much wanted to become parents that it was never a question of would we have kids it was just a matter of when and and what that would look like you know obviously when i was growing up I had this, you know, picture in my head of, of what my life would look like. And I was going to marry a man and I, we were going to have babies and, you know, we would do these like normal things. So when Audrey and I were dating, obviously talking about kids, we were kind of like, okay, well, it's not going to happen. You know, it's not going to be quite as straightforward, but we'll make it happen one way or another. Mm -hmm. And um, I suppose that journey to to um you know figuring out how we would have kids really changed the trajectory of my life and of our life very much um, because, you know 
And where did you start? Like, I mean, whatever about now, where obviously we're podcasting and talking about this, there's a lot more resource around for for people. You know, day by day, there's more and more kind of discussion of this, and becomes a much more. I don't. The word accepted is wrong because to say it's not accepted seems so wrong. But but that idea that societally it's becoming like and closer to a norm. Let's say, like, where were you looking for for guidance on those things? Was, was there supports for you? No, absolutely not. So we're talking about maybe 2014, start of 2015, when we were starting to kind of be ready. And there was nothing, there was, there was no, there was just literally no information. There were no, from within Ireland, I'm saying, you know, there were no blogs, there were no Instagram accounts, there were no YouTubers, there was just nothing. Any information we got was from the states from canada from australia from uh, from other countries and from you know content that was not necessarily applicable to ireland and mm. so we didn't know what uh, what our options were what like what were we allowed to do in a fertility clinic if one of us wanted to become pregnant we didn't know about the process for selecting a sperm donor um, we didn't know was adoption legal for, for two gay parents. Uh, we, we just, we didn't know anything. And, um, you know, I suppose early on, we decided that we, we very much wanted to try and um, have a pregnancy ourselves as opposed to going down the adoption route. Um, so we decided that um, I would like to carry because for me, I've always wanted to be pregnant. I always wanted the experience of breastfeeding. Um, that was something that was really important to me. And whereas with Audrey, she's kind of like, I'll take one for the team if I have to. <laughs> um, but she was just really lucky that she married me and that I really wanted to be pregnant. You know, um, I, I meet a lot of women who are like, damn it, if only like, you know, my partner could carry and I didn't have to. <laughs> uh, so, you know, she's she's lucky that she married me. But we were we were talking about it. And again, we didn't know anything about the process. And one night we said wouldn't it be really cool if we could use your eggs as in audrey's eggs use donor sperm create embryos and then i would carry the babies wow. so that way they'd be genetically yours but i would be gestationally carrying them so there would be a really like really strong um tangible link to both mm -hmm, of us mm -hmm. and lo and behold we googled and it was a thing that you could do. It was called, wow. you know, and it is called reciprocal IVF. And we just, our minds were blown. We were like, how cool is that, that we have the opportunity to do this? How cool is it that we have two, two uteruses, we have loads of eggs, you know, there's yeah. <laughs> permutations of how this could work. Isn't that really cool? Uh. So we went to Sims in 2015, uh, which is one of, you know, the big clinics and was one of the big clinics at that time and we were told very nicely we're sorry but we can't help you because not because we we're two women but because at the time reciprocal IVF was not licensed for in the Irish clinics now just to be clear the licenses that the clinics have and the legislation governing the children born of these um, procedures are entirely different so just from the clinic mm. side they just didn't have a license from the HPRA. They just couldn't do it. Um, so they said, we can either do a standard IVF with your own eggs and donor sperm or an IUI or whatever, or you can go abroad and do the procedure abroad. 
Um, and I think by that evening, we had decided we were going to go to Spain. Um, mm. We just, we had our hearts set on it at that point, And we just knew, we knew that that was what was ahead of us. Um, and I'm so glad we did because, you know, we wouldn't have the children that we have if, if we didn't. And is that the, the fact that you that it was licensed in Spain and obviously legislatively as well, like catered for, is that a reflection of a more um, progressive attitude to, to to different kind of gender versions of parenting? I don't even think it's um, it's the gender. I wouldn't say it's a gender versions of parenting. I think it's oh, yeah. I think it's like like things have been just going so slowly in terms of like reproductive options for people. Mm. And, you know, at one point you couldn't even access IVF um, treatment or fertility care treatment if you weren't a married couple. And that's still the, a married heterosexual couple. You know, single people couldn't access fertility treatment. And there are still Please. places, yes, and there's still places in Europe that you have to be, married man and woman married in order to access care you can't be a, a, a gay couple you can't be a single person um and it's this idea of it's this heteronormative you know man woman children sort of ideal mm. um and i think that's kind of where it started i think obviously the fertility field has you know expanded and is very much um embraces you know all people at this point in time but the kind of the licenses just haven't did hadn't at least at that point caught up to it like just to give you an example so reciprocal ivf is now licensed for and most of the clinics um can offer it now which is amazing for people now in ireland who can access that service and not have to travel abroad like we did but there are still certain things that you can't do in ireland that you can do elsewhere so like in order to to so you can get sperm sperm donors no problem like that's something that we've been doing for years and years um you know th there is now legislation that sperm donors have to be identifiable um so there is kind of some legislation about what type of sperm you can use but you can do it and that's just you know plain sailing mm -hmm. however when it comes to egg donation in order to use egg donors and when you're looking at it and what's the difference between an egg donor and a sperm donor it's they're both just gen genetic material one is not more important than the other like they're you know so but if, you, if you want to use an egg donor you have to create embryos abroad and then bring the embryos back into ireland to use them what so <laughs> you you it's it's bizarre so you can't bring eggs into the country to use them but you can bring embryos into the country to use them ah uh, so convoluted what the hell <laughs> so bizarre and you'd wonder why like what is the separation point mm. legally or where do they think that that's a, a different thing it feels no it feels like an ideation element it does i mean it's difficult not to spring to the idea of the patriarchal thing yeah, isn't yeah. it it's very difficult not to i'm sitting here as a yeah. cis white male i'm kind of going I feel like my kind are responsible for this. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I don't know, I think it's, it kind of harks back to like, in Ireland, I feel like, you know, like us as, as two women, I think we have it easier than two men 
who are raising a child because everyone loves the idea of an Irish mammy and like, you know, the mother is the most important thing, you know, whatever about the sperm, but it's like the egg, the mother that is like, you know, the Holy grail. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it kind of um, is linked back to that at all. Um, but for me, like, I don't believe that, you know, genetic material doesn't make you a parent. Um, <clears throat> Giving that's a really interesting discussion you know, isn't it giving birth doesn't make you a parent um it's it's about so much more than that yeah so it's like love not being a feeling love is an activity yeah, it's that thing yeah. again isn't it mm. yeah, i mean there's so many there's so many nuances that you could kind of get lost in there um <clears throat> so tell me when you were thinking you decided okay we're going to spain had you involved your wider family at this point? Had you told them what you were going to do? What were their opinions on it? Were they sharing, supportive, what? So at the time, we I think we told one person on each side of our family. Everyone knew that we wanted to have kids, but didn't necessarily know how and when we were going to do that. Um, so what we ended up doing was going to Barcelona for a month um, just to do the whole process as opposed to back and forth for, you know, scans and medication and bloods and everything. We just were like, let's just go and do it and hope that it works. And so we didn't tell anyone. Everyone just thought we were taking a break and just having a bit of time away um, off of work and just, you know, renting a house in the sun. And it was it was gorgeous. And, um, you know, looking back, that was really hard because we obviously had no support then and we were in a different country and we had no idea what we were doing and we were trying to liaise with a foreign clinic which anyone who's gone through fertility treatment is not an easy thing to do um you're dealing with you know a language barrier you know things are different and you just don't have that continuity of care that you would have if you were going through medical or fertility treatment at home um so it was difficult and we you know we didn't have that support network so yeah it was really difficult and something I always say to people is that if you are going through fertility treatment that you need your people around you you mm. just do and just to take away some of that like you know for us I suppose we didn't have that feeling of shame and I think mm. a lot of heterosexual people who go through fertility treatment do sometimes have that feeling of shame of needing help you know with us two women it's a no-brainer that we're going to need some fertility assistance we don't necessarily suffer from infertility um mm. so we didn't have that but there is still kind of stigma that goes with fertility treatment sometimes and you know I just I feel that people going through it really do need the support of their their family and friends and um just to kind of normalize it as part of the conversation like if you're trying if you're trying naturally for a baby a lot of times you'll tell people that you're trying so why not you know why not involve people in your fertility journey even if it looks a little bit different it's literally exactly the same thing <laughs> it's literally yeah. apart from the biological act you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so when you say you told only one person each in each of your families was that because of a sense of the stigma or is that because you guys had a little bit of a like a apprehension because you didn't know if it was a guaranteed outcome yet or what was the thing I think it was both of those things we didn't know if it was going to work and we didn't want people asking us all the time mm. if it worked or not um and also just because actually do you know what? I think we also kind of wanted to keep it a little bit of a secret it was like our kind of special thing that we were doing um so there was an element of that as well. Now, I will say, fast forwarding to our second baby, 
that it was an entirely different experience because I was pretty much live tweeting the experience. <laughs> you know, we we did a blog, we, you know, we were putting out videos. We didn't tell people like the day that we were pregnant, but we did like the day after we got a positive pregnancy test. You know, we kept it to ourselves for like a day, but it was just an entirely different experience because at that stage we realized how helpful it could be to other people um, to see you going through this experience. So um, we didn't keep it to ourselves the second time around. And just to demystify this thing for me, as somebody who's never really been inside that world of IVF or kind of fertility clinics, when you're like choosing sperm, what's the, like, what do you get as an, like, how does that process work? Yeah, so it's like, I suppose it, it was different for us because we were um, going abroad. So what I would, you know, talk about is like the process now in Ireland. So as mm. I said, you can only choose an identifiable donor. So there's three types of donors in the world. There's known donor, which is someone that you know personally. Um, so whether that's a, a friend or, you know, someone, your partner's a partner's family member, you know, sometimes you hear of sisters donating eggs to their sisters or, you know, that type of thing. So that is what you would call a known donor. An anonymous donor is someone who you do not know. They have donated anonymously. There is no identifying information about them and you can never access information about them. Children conceived as a result of their donation can never mm -hmm. access information about them. Okay. That's anonymous. So those are like the two opposite ends. And then in the middle is what's called identifiable mm -hmm. or traceable, sometimes it's called. Um, mm -hmm. What that means is that they have donated sperm or eggs with no intention to have a relationship with you, with any child conceived, but they have made their um, information available on a registry so that if a child who's conceived as a result of their donation wishes to contact them in the yeah. future, once they turn 18, they will have um, last known address, name, and, you know, a, a PPS number, not, not, you know, the equivalent for whatever country, some sort of, um, some sort of number that would help them to trace uh, the donor. Doesn't mean that the donor is in any way a parent or is in any way linked to that child, but it just gives um, the child a bit more um, power, I suppose, in tracing genetic heritage, if that's something that they want to do. Yeah. Um, so in Ireland now, the process is there's a lot of different, like if we're talking about donor sperm, there's a lot of different sperm banks and um, some of the clinics will make the selection for you. And some of the clinics will allow you to make the selection yourself, which obviously is a, it's a better process because mm. then you have a bit more control over that selection process. Um, you go online, you type in details so say for example with audrey and i we obviously got a sperm donor that was more similar to me because my genetics were not being involved in the creation of the embryos so we obviously okay. wanted someone who essentially was the male version of me you know so someone with my yeah. hair color someone with yeah. my eye color someone who you know similar height if i was born male I would be a slightly, you know, a bit taller, just similar body type, you know, that sort of thing. Interesting. But those are usually the kind of things that you're looking for. You're looking for the intending parent, you know, to kind of replace those genes, I suppose. Yeah. That's what most people do. Some people just completely throw that all out the window and just pick, you know, someone who's like 
blonde and blue eyes and you know it's it's really up to the individual or the couple what they do they do you get like details about not just what they physically look like but the type of person they are what their interests are you can yeah and again it depends sperm bank to sperm bank um how much information they give you you know some of the sperm banks you have the option of paying a little bit more money to get a more detailed profile but you're still not going to be getting you like you know a full bio on them okay So you were in Spain, you did that first round and how did that go? So that was in September, 2015 and we had a fresh um, embryo transfer, which means you create embryos and they're immediately put back in um, like five days later. And I did have an early pregnancy test, but then it was just a a super early miscarriage. And, you know, that was, I guess we were, we were really sad about it, but we weren't, completely devastated because it wasn't like we had been trying for ages and ages and it you know it it it, we knew that we had options still it wasn't this is our only chance you know um Mm. so we kind of processed that and then um two months later I went back for a frozen embryo transfer which is almost identical except that the embryos have been already frozen they're then thawed and transferred back to the uterus and um that was when i got pregnant with our first daughter ava who actually just turned five. Oh wow amazing and and so um, and did it feel like for you as like you were saying so your your first uh gay relationship was with the lady who you've now had that baby with with audrey did it feel in any ways like because you were saying it kind of like it blew out of the water the version of the the parenting that you thought you'd be doing was it what did it feel like did it feel very odd or did it feel totally normal when it happened or, or how did that feel oh no completely normal because yeah just she's just a person I'm just a person and we're just yeah. two people making a baby and it was it was completely normal you know the only reason I describe ourselves as same-sex parents is to just kind of clarify with people up front that you know I have a wife and I am a woman mm. um but other than that like we're not same-sex parents we're just parents yeah just people yeah. there's no yeah. difference there's no yeah. difference between like you know me and you know my my brother and his wife or we're, yeah. we're all we all face the same challenges albeit maybe we face some additional ones how was it in the birthing system in Ireland do they have did you meet any challenges there I wouldn't say no obviously I'm talking about 2016 when we had Ava and at the moment there's obviously a lot of challenges in the birthing system and I my heart just goes out to anyone who's going through that at the moment but Mm -hmm. at the time no Audrey was never like refused access uh we were married at the time you know so we were treated like any other married couple in in the system Um, However, you know, sometimes forms were not up to scratch and forms were very heteronormative and Mm -hmm. you would have to change some forms and stuff. And that just was a bit like icky. Um, But for the most part, like anyone we encountered along the way was very respectful, very um, wanting to be inclusive, even if they didn't necessarily understand um, the nuances of our our relationship and our our pregnancy journey um 
but we never had any bad experiences. Um, the, <laughs> the, the funny experience we had about two days after I gave birth was that a like a junior consultant or something came around to doing his rounds on the ward in the rotunda and was stopped into our like little cubicle and I think I was probably breastfeeding or I just had no top on and Audrey is sitting there and we're just both exhausted and he kind of like didn't know where to look in the first place he was just kind of like you know just this is really awkward I'm like really you work in the rotunda and it's awkward to see someone with like trying to breastfeed like why anyways so he was just a bit like awkward and jumpy and he he, you know he asked he was talking to me and I was like this is my wife Audrey and that kind of was he was like oh okay yeah 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 and then he was going through his checklist and you know going through all the things like do have we done this have we done this blah 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 and then he gets to and what are you going to do for contraception and Audrey and I just looked at each other and then and then we looked at him and 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 we were like well we're married so that's not an issue and he kind of he just he just it literally just went over his head he was like uh, yeah but um have you thought about contraception I was like no no way he's still pushing the point come he on was still pushing it but I think he was just so caught off guard and so awkward about it he that was, he, he was just like Oops, repeating himself. <laughs> this is on my checklist I have to ask you yeah yeah a bit yeah, like yeah. does not compute yeah, yeah yeah just couldn't and then I think he just kind of like faded out into the background he just kind of left um, it was just so weird it was like it's just so basic <laughs> like, but like what what would you say in terms of percentages of parenting I don't know if you have any idea about this of, of of parents and parenting couples are in your situation in Ireland is it like is it is it minuscule like how many women no, are doing what not, you're doing like, no it's not minuscule and look as the years go on the numbers are growing of course mm. yeah. because you know if you're if you're looking at Ireland like in the early 90s it was still illegal to be gay you know yes. so of course there's going to be generations of people who were afraid to just exist let alone think about becoming parents whereas you know as the years go on um you know all people are being embraced more and more so mm. the younger generation are going to have less and less reservations about becoming parents. And it's just going to become a natural progression as it is with um, the majority of people who go, go into adulthood. You know, obviously not everyone wants to become a parent and that's completely cool. I don't think you should become a parent if you don't want to. Um, but for the majority of people, you know, you get to a certain age and you're kind of like thinking about it, you know? And I think mm -hmm. the younger generation are just going to it's, it's just going to be easier it's going to be more seamless it's going to be like well yeah now I've done that and now I'm going to think about having kids what are my mm -hmm. options um so no we don't have any statistics or numbers as such mm -hmm. but if you look at how how much of the population identify as LGBTQ plus Mm. Again, we don't have a number on that, but from other countries, it does seem to be anywhere between, you know, six to 15% of the population. So mm. you could from that deduct <clears throat> that, you know, how many heterosexual people in Ireland become parents, you know, and you mm. kind of take a figure from that. So like at the moment, 
there's thousands and thousands of, of um, LGBTQ plus parents and that number is just growing all the time. And I, I, sorry, I suppose it's, you know, it's obviously slightly different when you have two women or you have, you know, a woman and a trans man, you know, people who can physically carry a pregnancy themselves. That is much more straightforward when, mm. when you have a couple who do not have the capability to carry a pregnancy and um, things obviously become a lot more complicated because then they have to um, find a third party who will carry a pregnancy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when did you become aware of the issues that made you start the Equality for Children campaign? When did you know that going into having your first baby that there might be some issues around this? Were you aware of that before or was that something that just came to light in the natural progression of things? Yes and no. Um, we when we got pregnant no we had no idea when we got pregnant we thought that we were married we had marriage equality in ireland of course we would just be treated like any other married couple of course we would and i think that is what a lot of um irish people still believe and unfortunately i'll burst your bubble and tell you it's just not true marriage equality did not change anything for lgbtq plus people when it comes to parenting it changed nothing um, it simply allows for you to legally get married, but those rights within the marriage don't extend to the family the same way they do with, with um, a heterosexual marriage. Um, so no, we had no idea. And I suppose we started hearing some things kind of just through Facebook threads and just chatter, I suppose, um, when I was pregnant. And it wasn't until I was quite heavily pregnant in the summer of, of 2016 that we went to like solicitor and we found out that actually no when I gave birth I would be considered the legal parent because under the Irish constitution a person who gives birth is the biological mother which obviously you know we run into issues when we're talking about surrogacy then as well because mm-hmm. a surrogate at the at this point in time is considered a biological mother even though they usually have no biological link whatsoever to um, the children born through surrogacy. But yes, for us, because I was giving birth, I was considered the biological mother of Ava. Audrey, who actually is her biological mother, and um, also my wife, also co-parents, would just be a legal stranger to her, completely, just complete legal stranger to her. And so we did know this before I gave birth, but I suppose we were, you know, just trying to figure out our way as becoming first time parents. And it kind of got pushed to the back of our minds a bit. And we were like, look, we, we'll get it sorted out. We'll do something. We'll, we'll take a legal case. We'll, you know, we'll fix it. And it wasn't until we went to register her birth that it really just hit home. And the day we registered Ava's birth in Lombard Street in Dublin, anyone who's given birth and registered their child in there for most people you remember it as like one of those days where you go you register you go get tea and cake afterwards it's a celebration it's really exciting but for us it it turned out to be one of the most devastating days of our lives it was just Mm. it was awful like and I, I can't I can't explain the feeling that we had sitting there in a room of other new parents and knowing that our child was being discriminated against Mm -hmm. simply because um, she had two two moms, simply because of how she was conceived. And um, 
which is devastating because even then knowing that if Audrey was a man and we had used donor sperm, which a lot of people do, um, there would have been no issue. We, we would have just rocked up right up and said, she's the dad, end of. There's no genetics test. There's no nothing. Like, it's just, if we're a man and a woman, it would have been fine. And so, if, she, if, she was a, if she was a trans man, would it have been fine? Um, so this was 2016. So gender recognition was 2015. Um, it would have been difficult. Yeah. Um, now, now it would be fine. Okay, okay. But at the time, it's still, no, it still would have been difficult at the time. Um, things have changed a little bit now, but no, at the time, it, it still would have been um, difficult, yeah. Um, so that was just devastating, obviously, and um, we um, went... Um, what, how, what do you do, sorry, what, what do you do with that knowledge? I mean, obviously, you're floored, and you're, I, I imagine, I mean, that's really traumatic for you as parents, and particularly because you're sitting there as the de facto parent, but you're really having to console your partner or your wife who's now not the parent. And like, how how long is it then before you decide what action you're taking and what does the action look like and what what what's evolved out of that? I suppose at the time, we just felt really helpless because there was nothing that we could do. There was nothing we could do. This was the law and you know, shouting and screaming and stomping about it in the in the registrar's office was not going to change it. Um, and we were both just so exhausted anyways, just by life and, you know, new baby and everything. And it was just, it was just so sad. And when we went in, the registrar was like, who is the mother? And we were like, well, we both are. And she's like, yeah, yeah, but who gave birth? And I said, I didn't. And she was like, okay, well, Renee, I'm just going to be talking to you now. And, wow and literally did not even look at audrey and i don't know for that registrar was she having a bad day or is that just how she like compartmentalizes but it was really pretty shit like the oh way um so much so that when we ended up having to do the same thing with our second daughter and register again as a single parent um audrey didn't even come because she couldn't it was just too yeah much. i, I get it um yeah it was just wow. it was awful so I, I suppose in those early days what did I do what what kind of what was the action um I started talking about it I started talking about it to anyone who would listen um we did our first magazine interview with my sister-in-law uh, Roberta who runs a magazine called Mums and Tots and we we were on the front cover um back in December of 2016 with a tiny, tiny newborn Ava. And that was the first of many magazine articles, newspaper interviews, radio interviews, television interviews. And we just did a whole lot of publicity and press. And, you know, since then have had to share a lot of personal details. And to be honest, I kind of resented a bit. I resent having had to share so much of our life. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily mind sharing it for the purpose of helping other people and, you know, just making other people feel less alone, but to have to use your story in order to get basic human rights afforded to your child just seems um, a bit wrong. Mm. Um, but that's kind of all we could do at the time was just tell our stories and try to get people um, 
angry about it and try to get people saying this is not right what can we do mm. and um, that kind of continued for a couple of years on and off you know again life is busy and just trying to trying to work and raise a child and then we were trying to go through the fertility treatment process again trying to have another baby it wasn't as straightforward this time um, but then we were really lucky and we had um, Aria on New Year's Eve 2018. Um, New Year's Day 2019, I remember being, we were in the coom this time, and I remember in there with Aria and just knowing that we were still in the same situation, mm. I, it just reignited this like deep rage in me. And I'm, I remember just making a decision that day, just being like, no, this, we have to do something like how, like, how are we still here? It's 2019. We passed marriage equality in 2015. And yet we're still here. We're still like in a position where I have to sign for the heel prick test because my wife can't sign it for her own child. You know, we're still in this position. Like it's not okay. And, um, you know, so we kind of reignited that drive to do a lot of publicity. And we were on like Ireland AM when Aria was only like two weeks old. I look back at the footage and I was like a shell of myself, but we did it because we were just trying to get people to understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot happened that year in 2019. And in October of 2019, after just a lot of things had kind of snowballed, um, we, along with a group of other um, parents who were in the same situation, ended up forming a campaign, an organization called Equality for Children, with the sole intention of fighting for legislation that would cover and protect all children born to LGBTQ plus families in Ireland. Um, so that was end of 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm the CEO of that organization. And we have, you know, had to contend with COVID and being mm-hmm. a ba- baby organization, only just kind of getting off the ground and then COVID hit and we couldn't have any more in-person events and everything had to go online. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm really proud of our team and what we've achieved in, in, in like a year and a half. And um we have a really, really strong uh, group of volunteers. And talk to us about the reception you've had, because I presume you're doing like lobbying at a legislative level is kind of the, the biggest job, I guess, to change that. Talk to us about the reception you've had from people who are in positions, um, politicians or whatever, TDs, etc. Overwhelmingly positive. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmingly so. Um, okay. And, you know, so we obviously dealt with the previous government. And we were really making great headway there. And then we got landed with the new government and had to kind of start from scratch again. Mm. Um, but anyone we have we have had meetings with, we have spoken to, has been very much on a personal level in support of just making sure that children have basic um, legal protections and access to both of their parents mm. um, on a human level. But translating that kind of on a human level to at government level and making sure that, that there's a will and a political drive uh, and a cross-departmental approach mm. to make sure that we get the legislation that we need. It doesn't always translate. Just because someone personally might be in support of something, mm. doesn't mean it's going to happen or happen very quickly. Yeah. And has anything changed? Yes. So things have changed. So since we had our children... 
Um, new legislation finally came in last year in May, and it's called the Children and Family Relationships Act or the CFRA. And, you know, so some people watching this maybe are saying, oh, no, but I know same sex parents do have rights now. I heard it in the news. So basically, yes, new laws came in last year after a five year delay, I might add. Um, but they did come in finally last year. And what that means is that same sex female couples who meet the criteria can now both be recognized as parents. So if, if you're a same sex female couple and you tick all of these boxes and have conceived and birthed your child in a certain way, then you can have legal recognition. But the criteria are very narrow. So these are the criteria that your female couple, you use an Irish fertility clinic, you do IVF, IUI, or reciprocal IVF, you use an identifiable sperm donor, and then your child is born in Ireland. So if you meet all those criteria, you can both go on the birth cert. <clears throat> Now, I will say, caveat that with, if you conceived your children prior to May of last year, and you meet most of those criteria, but you used a foreign clinic, or you used an anonymous sperm donor, those are kind of the two amnesties, but only if the children were conceived before May of last year. So there's a lot of people who would fall into that kind of, I suppose, amnesty. So people who maybe had their kids, you know, five six seven years ago used mm. a clinic abroad but then their children were, were born here you would be covered then but if you choose to have more children in that way going to a foreign clinic or using an anonymous donor mm. and you do that now you wouldn't be covered so and, and reciprocal ivf you're not covered either is that it Yes, so reciprocal IVF is covered oh, and I suppose this has been a, a bit of a complicated one because initially when the CFRA legislation was coming in, it wasn't clear whether or not reciprocal IVF would be included um, and a variety of things happened, including our family bringing a case against the state. Very long story, but basically it is now included. Um, well done. Which is, which is great news. Um, funny, we still have, haven't been able to get um, our kids' birth certs changed, but there's a lot of factors in that. But we, we are covered. Our Amazing. children are covered. However, if we choose to use our embryos that we have in our clinic abroad, which we do 100% want to do, those children will not be covered. Yeah. I was thinking have, that. I was thinking yeah, what yeah, happens if someone... Yeah. Sorry, I've heard of lots of people going, we want to use the same sperm donor for, you know, all the babies mm. that we have. So there's this common thread. And if that sperm donor's sperm comes from Spain or somewhere and they've already had two kids there, that means they either can't use the same one or that one kid doesn't count in the same family. Yeah. And there's, you know what, there's a lot of um, kind of um, imbalance created in families because of this new legislation. There are so many families where one child is covered and has equal legal rights to their parents and another child only has one legal parent like siblings like how can you possibly <laughs> you know look at siblings and say no you can have it you can't um it's just it's crazy and 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 you're saying so all men all gay men couples they aren't covered at all it's so so possible. if we look at the cohort of people that are covered, then the people who aren't covered, mm. so if we're looking at female couples, it's anyone who 
uses a non-clinical way to get pregnant, mm. which a lot of people do because a lot mm. of female couples don't have fertility issues. And if they want to use their own eggs anyways, and they just need sperm is the only missing ingredient and they can get sperm and they can get a home insemination kit on Amazon, then why would they not do that? Um, mm. And a lot of people choose to conceive in that way. It's much cheaper. It's usually much quicker, usually much less stressful. But if you choose to do that, you, your children will not be protected by the law. Mm. Um, so non-clinical methods are not covered. Known donors are not covered, which is completely wrong in my opinion, because who like who like the government should not be the ones to say what type of what type of sperm you can use in what ways you can become pregnant are there are those like limitations put on other people like no like if if i was a heterosexual in a heterosexual relationship my husband sperm we couldn't use my husband's sperm for whatever reason and we choose to use say his his brother just for like some random scenario his brother would donate like why why can we not do that mm. that you know that that would be our choice um and that's bizarre it's like you're trying to control or author the relationship that the child then has with its father at whatever level it seems bizarre do you know anything about the the reasoning behind that is there actually a like some sort of guidance as to why that legislation was enacted in that way or um, I suppose the CFRA legislation was when it was first drafted in 2015, a long time ago, was a bit broader and it included more things. And then as it went, the legislators were narrowing it down and they were like, well, let's just take the most simple approach. And the most straightforward, simple approach, let's be honest, is when you have two women, it's mm. taking place in Ireland. So you, you can govern what's happening in Irish clinics um, the identifiable sperm donors. So there, there can be a registry of donors, which will be held in Ireland. You know, it's, it's very straightforward, but the thing is our paths to parenthood are not always straightforward mm, and you yeah. can't punish children who are conceived or birthed in a particular way, just because the legislation is not there. So yeah, so non-clinical um, methods, known donors, anonymous donors, any any forms of surrogacy so obviously when we're talking about two men um having a biological child and not adopting it is always going well it's not always sometimes it's co-parenting as well but it's usually through surrogacy and there is no legislation for surrogacy in ireland so whether you're a same-sex male couple or you're a heterosexual couple accessing surrogacy it doesn't matter if you access surrogacy only one parent is ever going to be considered a legal parent to your child and it's just it's devastating for families you know children born through surrogacy have the least protections of all and that's really just to think through the the fallout of that it means that ultimately say you used a surrogate and she lives in Spain and then for some reason she decides to say at some point in the future actually that's my child I want that child back she has the right to fight mm. for that under Irish law she and does. Irish law yeah yeah and also the crazy thing like speaking like looking at end of life which I know is way down the tracks but all of those children that might be in the families where you have mixed you know uh, uh, parent whatever like connection from a lead legislator that's going to be a nightmare for wills like a nightmare totally because if so say 
so okay so i'll just take audrey and i again for example as i said we are covered so we hope to get our kids sorted out very soon you know as soon as we can but if we take today right now i'm still the only one on the birth cert right now so technically if audrey and i were 90 i passed away then audrey was still there and she would had dementia or she just couldn't make decisions for herself our kids couldn't like they're they would be legal strangers they you know so weird you know making medical decisions or decisions mm. about like going into a facility or whatever they would be treated like legal strangers and it, the same goes for her side of the family they would be treated mm. as legal strangers when it comes to inheritance and you know yeah, 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 yeah. or if some, or if something happened to you mm -hmm. she wouldn't have the right to automatically parent your children no. yeah. Yeah. yeah and again this for us is going to be resolved very soon which i'm very grateful mm. for but for anyone in that situation if the legal parent passes away or is incapacitated the other parent does not have any automatic rights to their child um the the best that anyone can do at the moment is apply for guardianship but you can only apply for guardianship after a child turns two um or you have lived with a child for two years and you can imagine in maybe uh some situations probably many situations where there's maybe more adversarial scenarios where yeah. the parents don't agree with the choices that that couple made and they're more conservative a lot more conservative yeah. from a different time yeah. there's going to be a fight there. there's going to be a serious struggle yeah okay that's what it, it's so there's so many ramifications it's when it really spirals out doesn't it? i think the people hearing the issue who aren't in it um and who haven't inhabited this world probably don't understand haven't even thought through the ramifications i like haven't that. honestly like really yeah. they haven't thought it and gone oh it's actually a huge issue mm. in their head they're like oh, yeah, it's not great, but like, you know, they're living together and everything. they're not thinking, how yeah. does that work out? And what I would always say to people in those situations is to just look at your life mm -hmm. and look at your children and then imagine that your child's other parent is suddenly nothing to them in the eyes of the law. And what would that mean for your family? What would that mean just like on a daily basis for mm. one person always having to be the one to like set up a bank account or sign yeah, social offers yeah. you know bring them for a vaccination do like just anything anything that requires parental consent or responsibility mm. imagine if that was all down to one person the other person just couldn't be involved in any of that at all on a on a legal basis um and then if something happened to you as the legal parent and just feel that weight of responsibility mm. of you you know as a legal parent and and just kind of being like well nothing can happen to me i can never be unavailable yeah yeah literally that yeah so speak to us about like for those people like us who others in in kind of like within ireland in the irish community of, of all types what's the sort of stuff that we can do to support the work that you're doing so i suppose like obviously legislation is what we need that is the end goal so we we are doing that we are lobbying but what we need is the support of the public to continue that work. We need the awareness raised within the public because as we've all seen, legislation can happen very slowly or it can happen very quickly. And a lot of that is dependent on how much public pressure is being put on the government to fix something. Um, if, and I always say this, if everyone who voted yes in 2015 
knew that this was happening, something would change a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Uh, because a lot of people voted yes for families and for children um so we we really need to like mobilize the public to be talking about this it's not okay it's not something that's not you know it's it's uh it's grand we'll sort it out soon this is this is urgent you know kids are left in an unsafe position it's important we need to change it now we don't need to change it in 10 years um and so we need people to really be putting pressure on their local politicians. Um, you know, just it's so simple. Like we have we have a, a tool on our website that you can go on and search for your local TDs. You type in where you are. You'll get a list of all your representatives, all their email addresses. All you have to do is copy and paste. And we have a template that you can copy and paste and just put in your name send it off like mm. we know for a fact that that works because we've been told we've been told mm. by government officials that that's one of the most um you know it's the easiest and cheapest way to get people's attention if someone gets a, an email from 50 people they're gonna they're gonna look at it and they're gonna be mm. like hey what is this why are so many people emailing about this um yeah i've heard a lot about <laughs> the pas to tds and how they get like parsed this version of like what your morning's inbox looks like yeah and it's just how much you annoy them essentially it if is. it's annoying to the pa it's annoying to the tv things happen <laughs> you don't and so you don't need to engage their heartstrings no, <laughs> not at all it's just like okay what what's the content here okay 90 percent is this so i'm going to deal with that mm. um, and that's just something really actionable that people can do today yeah. Like it's mm. not hard to do and you can mm. do it while you're watching TV. It doesn't take any sort of brain power. It's just copying and pasting. You know, you can tweet all your local politicians if, when anytime there's a by-election, you can ask your representatives when they come to your door. Did you know about this? What are you planning to do about it? Um, you know, obviously people can help in a, in a, in a more physical way. We, we, we are completely volunteer led. People can donate to you know, the organizational costs and running of, of our campaign. Um, people can volunteer with us. We have volunteers actually all over the world. That's one of the pros to COVID is that everything is now digital. So all of our volunteer meetings are all online. Um, you know, so people can get involved if they have any sort of time and any sort of skills, whether it be social media or um, they might have a background in lobbying. You know, it doesn't matter. We can use everybody, um, yeah. everybody who believes that this is um, an important issue that needs to be fixed. So I suppose the, the real end goal here is legislation. And we are in, I suppose, a crucial moment because we this is on the program for government, a bill around assisted human reproduction, which mainly involves surrogacy but also involves some of those other things we were talking about, like known donors, non-clinical conceptions, foreign births, foreign conceptions, all of that. Um, this is all going to be dealt with in, in a thing called the Assisted Human Reproduction Bill. That is going to happen like imminently, you know, they're, they're off at the moment, they're going to be coming back soon. This is on the program. And what we need is for them to accept a lot of recent recommendations that have been made around how that bill needs to evolve, how it needs to include international surrogacy as well as domestic surrogacy. It needs to 
um, allow for retrospective recognition because mm -hmm. at one point they were talking about only legislating for surrogacy going forwards, which is completely crazy because you're giving more rights to theoretical kids <laughs> than you are to actual thousands of kids who exist. You know, so um, it's just it's making sure that what they propose in the next stage is going to be acceptable and suitable for our modern families, whether those are children born through surrogacy to heterosexual or, or gay parents, or their children who were maybe conceived abroad and then families moved back here. You know, because like at the moment, if, if you're a family who have children in Canada, you're both fully recognized as parents over in Canada, and then you come back to Ireland. So the second you land on home soil, your rights are stripped, your children's rights are stripped. It's completely crazy. It's wild. Okay. Okay, wild. so we can put links to all those things. Mm. Um, Absolutely. And and just call out to all our followers to get and involved. And do our own bit of emailing as well. Do Definitely. The emailing mm -hmm. and just try to continue to raise awareness yeah. on, on this topic. And I think, yeah. you know, as a mom myself, you really feel it. You really feel like it's ridiculous that my child has more rights than your child. That's mm. insane. Just by dint no of the child. fact that he was No child should have more rights than another like yeah. in it seems just so basic so basic and and so important thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story your personal story and for it like going into those little nuances which are hard to tease out for people who just really aren't aware of it and I think you're right it's absolutely the case that there isn't awareness people have a notion that marriage equality passed and therefore with it all those rights just yeah. came naturally yeah. alongside it and and we need to get that message out with clarity I think yeah yeah, thank absolutely. You. Yeah. So uh, all that remains is for us to thank our sponsors. Um, and so we'd like to say thank you to Newsest, our nutrition partners, uh, who do a great job bringing plant-based and organically grown um, protein, as well as uh, good green stuff and kids kids good stuff as well. Uh, a fantastic mixed multivitamin, all whole food based, great nutrition for, for mums and dads to have some kind of like a, a, a guaranteed basis for, for getting food into their kids for all our favorite picky eaters. And um, also to Clear Light Saunas, for those of you who want to get a bit of hot and cold into your life, uh, it's my addiction and uh, I'm trying to encourage people all the time to get addicted with it, into it. Um, but yeah, so uh, come and talk to us about your 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 wishes to be putting a, a little hot box in your garden. And then, and then just thanks to Renee. And that's been, I mean, just such clarity. And I think anybody who, I, I, you just can't raise a point that disagrees with you. It, you're just such, it, it's such a coherent and logical thing. It's just a case of getting it done now and doing the work. So mm -hmm. uh, thank you very much for, for standing up for, uh, for, for all of our children. You know, it's a big deal. Thanks a million guys. Bye. Bye.